And I love talking about these big questions in life. Here's why, because we all have them. How foolish would it be or how, how shallow would our faith have to be to every time we got to some big question in life to go, we don't talk about that. We're gonna go talk about something else that we do know. But God is infinite in his being. And he's invited you and me to keep flipping over the rocks in our journey in investigation and pursuit of him because he knows as you keep pursuing me, you're not gonna find every, you're not gonna turn over a rock at some point in life and go, oh man, I just discovered a thing that's gonna make everybody understand this whole thing's a sham. No, you're gonna turn over a rock and your mind's gonna be blown and you're gonna go, I think Jesus is real. I think he is worthy of my worship. And so it's awesome to be in a space where we can ask some of these big life questions. For some of us, you, you grew up in church, you grew up knowing what to believe, but truth be told, you know what to believe, but you have no idea why you believe it. And the world is quickly accelerating at a pace that that is no longer an acceptable answer. You have to know why you believe what you believe if you wanna to continue to believe what you believe once the wind of the world starts blowing in your face and the wind of the world is gonna blow in your face. And so the invitation on the table today is come and investigate God. He, the great commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Don't you love that? You don't have to check your brain at the door of church when you come in on Sunday. God goes, no, bring your brain. And as you turn your brain on, it's gonna cause your brain to stretch. And as your brain stretches, your heart is gonna swell. And that's what we have the opportunity to do tonight and over the course of these fives together. The word apologetics, by the way, comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. It's a legal term. You say, well, why do I need to have a defense? Why, why do I need to be ready to have a defense? Because we live in 2022. That's why you need a defense. Because your faith will be tested. Not might, it will be tested. And in that moment, you will stand firm when you have a defense that is anchored in the unchanging, unfailing word of God. There is one question that for me, is one of the biggest hurdles to faith. It, it was my whole life before I met Jesus and when I was leading student ministry, it's one of the biggest hurdles high school students and middle school students wrestle with. It's one of the biggest hurdles across the globe for people to get on board with a great loving God. And the question is this, if God is so good and God is so loving, then how can there be so much pain and suffering in the world? That's a big question for 35 minutes. But we're gonna do our best to dig into the word of God and to uncover some things that I, I pray will let us think rightly about this question, have a defense for this question and stand firm when we're faced with the inevitable pain that this world will throw our way. Have you ever been in that moment where you asked that question? I've shared my story here before, so I won't do that tonight, but for, for 18, 20 years of my life, I pursued the goal of playing tennis at the highest level with everything that I had. Incredible amount of sacrifice, year after year after year. I didn't do all the things that normal kids do. I didn't have all the friends that normal kids had because I was focused on chasing this dream only to get to the moment where I left high school and chasing the dream, get to the tournament. Here I am so excited. All of my life work is gonna pay off. And I get hurt, never to fully return to playing tennis at that level again. 
And in that moment, I can remember being so mad at God. I, I gave God no praise, no thanks, no even acknowledgement that he existed when things were going good. But somehow when things began to crash around me, I was very quick to shell out all the blame towards him. I can remember uh, the second year I was leading the student ministry at Passion City Church, there was a girl named Maya in our ministry who became like a younger sister to me. She was 14 years old, loved God, had this incredible spirit of worship on her life. And Maya was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer called rhabdomyosarcoma. And as we began walking with her, we did all the things you know to do. We prayed and we fasted and we read scripture when we put scripture on the walls in her room and we showed up and we prayed and we begged God and somehow every doctor's appointment, the news kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I'll never forget being a student pastor of this church and walking out of the door where the doctor just told the parents it didn't get better, it didn't stay the same, it actually got worse and putting my back up against the hospital wall and going, how can this be? How can I hold these two things together where I can get up and preach about this good, loving, merciful, kind, gracious God? and walk out of this room where the news didn't get better, it got worse. How, how do you hold those two things together? Have, have you been in that moment? Do you know what that moment's like? Maybe it's a car accident or some diagnosis in your family or something you hoped was gonna work out one way and it didn't, it went the other way or some injury or some pain or some suffering or divorce or a split in your home or something that's happened that's just left you going. I know everything I've ever heard about God, but my experience in life and what I see with my eyes right now, it really doesn't line up and it doesn't match. What, what do you do in that moment? Because if you don't have a faith that allows you to stand in that moment, you don't have a very strong faith. Because that moment's coming. It's inevitable for all of us. So I want us to just turn on our minds as we think about this question of pain and suffering and particularly evil in the world. You'll find people that will give you a bumper sticker answer to questions like this. And I say, be wary of all of them. Be wary of anybody who gives you a very simplistic answer to a very complex problem. And the problem of pain and suffering and evil in the world is a very complex problem. But as we think about it, I think particularly about evil and th there's a whole line of people throughout history that have used this idea of there being evil in the world to try to debunk the very existence of God. And I can remember thinking about it in my own life. How could a good God allow things like Hurricane Ian to happen? And how could he allow these things to happen? And how do I process that? How can there be evil in the world? And it's helpful when we turn our minds on and think about that, to think about the reality that if we know to call something evil and that evil is bad, well, that's a moral position. So if something can be evil, if something can be bad, then you also have to admit that something could be good. There can't be evil without good. So if you acknowledge there's evil in the world and because of that evil, that's enough to make me believe God doesn't exist, I think as we think through that problem, I just want you to think about this, that if you are willing to acknowledge that there is evil in the world, you also have to admit that if there's evil, then there's good. 
And if there's good in the world and there's evil in the world, that's a moral standard, that's a moral code, that's a moral law. And if there is a moral standard or moral code or moral law in the world, then it had to get here by a moral law giver who is the very person that when you ask the question, you're trying to debunk. <laughs> that, that if there is evil, there too must be good. And if there is good and evil, then we're acknowledging that there is a moral standard in the world. And if there is a moral standard in the world, then there must be a moral standard giver. And the moral standard giver is the author of this book. Rocks don't know good from evil, but we do because we were created in his image and in his likeness. And he is the one who instilled this into all of us. So maybe the argument that's meant to disprove God actually is great evidence for the proof of God. Now I'm not saying it takes all the pain away. That's not a bumper sticker answer. That's not good, we got the problem solved, let's move on. That leaves us in the wake on a broken planet post Genesis three in the fall where we're, we are broken people born into iniquity and we're living on a broken world on a broken planet. That's, that's real, that, that's true for everybody. But it's helpful to think that that's not reason to believe God doesn't exist. In fact, it may be great evidence that he does exist. See, the enemy does this to us. The enemy likes to pull little pieces of a picture out. He always paints an incomplete pictures. Do you know that? The enemy always will cause us to make assumptions and accusations based on incomplete pictures. And he'll pull something small out and he'll hyper-focus our attention and we'll lose sight of the grandeur of God by looking at this little small thing we're looking at. And he'll use that to go, see, God isn't good. But if you back up and get a big enough view and activate your brain, you'll realize that yes, there is pain. And yes, life can be hard but God can remain good through all of it. We have to have a theology that is big enough and robust enough to include pain and suffering in this world because pain and suffering is inevitable. For some of us, the, the rub really is that we expected life with Jesus to be easy, to be good, to be cruise control, to be pain free to be all blessing and no struggle. And for, for a lot of us, if I could just be real honest and press a little bit, that's because you always believed what everybody told you about God and you never went to the scripture yourself to, to seek after him. Because when you, when you read the Bible and you look at the unfolding story of God, on every page is the reality that there's pain and suffering on a broken planet. You see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. I'll just give you some, some scripture to back this up, that the Bible tells us itself that there will be pain and suffering in the world. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of a righteous man. 2 Corinthians 1, 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ... James 1, two through four, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Read the book of Job, read the book of Ruth, read the book of Acts, read Peter, Paul, James, and all the gospel writers. The whole story tells us 
life is gonna be full of pain and suffering on a broken planet. So if I could just encourage you, do not be led astray by secondhand information by God. He, he has preserved this word for us, this very breath of God on a page so that you can go straight to the source. You can cut out all the middlemen and that way you can have a leveling bar for when the enemy comes and he tries to give you an incomplete picture and wants you to base an assumption about God on an incomplete picture, you can go, yeah, but I got the whole picture and that doesn't line up with who God actually is. But I want you to see this. In all of those texts, there's a back end, there's a comma, there's more to the story. Life is hard, we can all agree on that. But listen to these words. Many are the afflictions of a righteous man, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Read the book of Job and at the very end, you'll see he's given back double everything that was taken. Read the book of Ruth and you'll see that all the evil gets reversed in the end and all the tragedies overturned in the end, so much so that Ruth is given a son who ultimately is in the line of our savior. Jesus told us himself, John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. So you cannot debunk a king because there's pain in the world who told us there's gonna be pain in the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's these two ideas that only in the sovereignty of a good God could ever live together. Life is hard and God is good. That's good theology. Life is hard and God is good. When pain comes into our world, what do we do? How do we process it? It has a way of forcing our hand. It, it, it throws us into an intersection where we go one of two ways. And I've seen people run very hard in both directions. You will either one, run from God in bitterness and anger because of the pain and suffering that you're experiencing in your life. I would imagine most of us have even done that at some point in life. We certainly all know somebody who has. But your other option is that you can cling to God in hope and in desperation. When we think about apologetics, it's important to think about, okay, well, if we're saying that in the Christian worldview, how in the world could there be a good God with pain and suffering in the world? It's, a good, it's good thinking, it's, it's a good use of your mind to go, okay, well, let's for a minute take God out of the equation. Does that eliminate all the pain and suffering in the world? No, pain and suffering is not unique to the Christian. Pain and suffering is everywhere on planet Earth. It's the problem of a fallen world filled with fallen people. So if you stand at that intersection and you determine, you decide, you know what, because of what I'm facing, because of this illness, because of this car accident, because of what you're taking from me, I don't want anything to do with you. So I'm gonna run away from God in anger and in doubt and in bitterness. Well, on your journey away from God, you're gonna be met by pain and suffering. You will. 
And if you stand at this intersection of whatever it is that's falling apart in your life and you go, man, I got no other option, Jesus. I'm clinging to you in hope and desperation. I'm gonna walk with you every step. This is where we've got it wrong. We think that all those steps are gonna be easy steps. Nowhere in the New Testament were they easy steps. You still will have pain and suffering on this route. So what's the difference? Why does it matter? What, what's the, what differentiates our worldview? Well, here's what does. Two simple things. We're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about these two things. Only in the Christian life is it possible for your pain to not be purposeless and not be permanent. This is, the, this is what we offer. The problem of pain and suffering is not unique to the Christian, but the solution to it is that there is a king who's coming. He's already come and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's gonna put it into his pain and suffering and evil in the world once and for all. That, that's coming. But number one, our pain won't be purposeless. The, the message of the Bible, the message of Christianity is not that come to Jesus and life will be painless. I wish I could preach that message. I wish I could have that life. But it's not true. The, the message of the Bible is not that life will be painless. The message of the Bible is that with Jesus, your pain will not be purposeless and your pain will not be permanent. When we look at uh, John's gospel in chapter nine, we'll talk about our pain won't be purposeless for just a minute. Talking uh, John chapter nine, verses two and three. Jesus asks, uh, his disciples ask him, Jesus, Rabbi, Whose sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there's a, a boy that is born blind, and in the cultural context of the day, that would be sin as a domino or an effect of someone who's sinned. Somebody did something wrong to be punished by this boy being born blind. And so his disciples are asking him, who was it that sinned? Was it the kid, or was it, his, was it the man, or was it his parents? that he was born blind. And listen to Jesus' response and get a big enough, robust enough, gritty enough theology for this to become your view. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That, that's a big theology right there. Why is there pain in this? You think this boy wanted to be born blind? You think he would go back and change it if he could? You think he enjoyed it? No, I bet every day he woke up, he was like, this is terrible, this is miserable. But God somehow, even in the heart and even in the pain and even in the suffering was painting on a bigger canvas and even in that he was going, no, this pain, this suffering, this illness exists for my glory on planet earth. And I've seen that to be true in my own life. I've seen God use pain in my life to pry my fingers off the comfortable, small, self-indulging things that I loved so that I could have my eyes opened in worship by having something small ripped away. God birthed something new that was his size. God does that. What a great, glorious God that can turn things and use things. I want you to hear me say this, just because something is hard does not mean that it is not from God. If you've got that view, you, you, you gotta drop that filter tonight. That, that is not a biblical filter. Just because something is hard does not mean that it's not from God. Real quickly, uh, Matthew chapter 14, and we're jumping around to a lot of places in scripture tonight, and uh, the reason why I'm doing that is because I want you to see that this isn't an isolated incident. 
This is the narrative of scripture. This is front to back until we get to the very end and then it's done with. Praise God. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, very well-known verses about the disciples being out on the water and freaking out. But let me read it for you and I want you to see the twist in here that will cause our minds to stretch. Verse 22. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. So I want you to get these first three verses here. There's Jesus. He's going up on the mountainside to pray, but the second word is what? Jesus what? Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. The, the word there is often even translated stronger as forced. Jesus made them, forced them into the boat, then he went up on the mountainside to pray. Now, did Jesus know the storm was coming? Of course he did, he's Jesus. If he didn't know the storm was coming, he can't be God. And yet, even though he knew the storm was coming, he made the disciples get in the boat. So hear me, the disciples were in a storm, not because they were disobedient to God, but because they were obedient to God. That God put the disciples in the boat and shoved them off into the storm. Now, why would he do that? That'll make you scratch your head. Now, why would a good, loving God, my shepherd, push me into the water if he knew a storm was coming? Well, watch how it resolves. Drop down to verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind, Jesus now walks on the water, joins them in the boat. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And look at verse 33. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. God will purposefully put you into a storm. He, he will allow pain and suffering to happen around you so that you will be led to a place where your view of him is so stretched that you have no other choice but to worship him in a different way than you've ever worshiped him before. That's a, that's a good God. God sometimes uses pain to make us more aware of how great and glorious he is. The, the psalmist got that, Psalm 119, verse 71. Listen to this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. You're like, how do you, what? That doesn't make any sense. It was good for me that I was afflicted, comma, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me that the pain came. It was good for me that suffering came. It was good for me that you shook me up a little bit. It was good for me that you kicked me out on the boat into the water and then the storm came. Why? Because in that, in that, in me throwing, throwing me into the waves caused my mind to be stretched, caused worship to rise up in me and caused me to learn who you actually are. See, you'll never really fully know that God is bigger than a storm if you've never been out on choppy water. You'll never know that God can hold you through cancer unless you've walked through cancer with someone that God has held. You, you'll never know that God can be good 
And worship can arise through life's difficulty and pain until you've walked the difficult road and seen God still be good in all of it. And God is committed to you enlarging your vision of how great and glorious he is. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is meaningless. No, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So hear, hear me, your pain, your affliction, your trial, your suffering is not meaningless. It's not because God's up there on the controls going, watch this, this'll be fun. No, it's doing something in you. It's preparing something for you. It's causing you to see something you've never seen before. It's causing you to understand something you've never understood before. It's causing you to mature up as a Jesus believer who's firm and steady with roots that can withstand the storms of life. It is producing something in you. Now you won't always understand what it's producing in you and neither do I. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If you've got something in your life right now, which in a room of this many people, the pain in this room is unimaginable. I wanna encourage you to do something. When you don't understand the decisions that God is making, dwell on his character. When you don't understand God's decisions, dwell on his character. And that's where you can say, you know what? God, uh, Isaiah 55 says, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my thoughts. Romans chapter 11 says, hey, your judgments are unsearchable. I know, that, I know that you're bigger than I can fathom and I can't see what you're doing. But what I do know is, I know that you're good. I know that you're loving. I know that you're omniscient. I know that you're all powerful. I know that you're gracious. gracious. I know that you're merciful. I know that, I know that you're all of these things. And I'm gonna rehearse your character over and over in my mind until my heart has confidence again that you'll carry me through this storm. Dwell on his character. Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Your pain is not purposeless, and only can that be true in life with Jesus, who can take ashes and turn them into beauty. Maya um, never got her miracle this side of heaven. She passed away at 15 years old, never got to drive a car. Dad never walked her down the aisle, never got to do a lot of things she dreamed about in life. But I can remember showing up to, at her house when kind of in the, in the thick of the, the, the wave of bad news coming. And she had had a really hard day and I kind of walked in and to their kitchen and she was downstairs and her parents just said it's been a really hard day so I went down there and I was talking to her and, and um, she said to me, 14 years old at the time, she said to me, I don't, know why, I don't know why this has to be my story. Angry, which can I just give you some freedom? God can handle your anger. God's not intimidated by that. It's not gonna push him back. Read the Psalms. God's okay with you coming like you are. See, I don't understand why this has to be my story. But I'm praying that if this does have to be my story, that God would use it 
And I sat there, supposed to be her student pastor, going, I don't, I, I'm not computing what you're saying right now. Let's just keep praying that he's gonna get rid of it. And we did that. But she said, I, pray, I wanna pray that God would use it. And then she said, I'll never forget this. She said, especially in my dad's life. Because my dad doesn't know Jesus yet. And there was a long journey between that moment and chemo and Bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news after surgery after chemo after bad news after different hospital after things getting worse until ultimately I stood right here in this very place at her celebration of life. And as I did, I was thinking about Maya's prayer was, God, if, if I have to have this pain, there, there's, there's no other way around this. I pray that you use it and I pray that you use it in my dad's life. And when I think about the idea of pain not being purposeless. I will always have this image seared into my mind, which is her dad climbing up our Jesus's life wall, putting his faith in Jesus. And in the, in the kindness of God, Maya got to see that happen. That's Maya right down here at the bottom with a hat on, a black hat on. This was kind of as things had already started to accelerate, so she was wearing a hat most days. Her hair had started to fall apart. But she stood in that moment with a smile from here to here, with the body just being ravaged by cancer. And she knew that's what I prayed for. I prayed that if I have to walk through this, God would use it, and he would especially use it in my dad's life. And so you know what, my 14 years on planet Earth, I had to deal with pain and suffering that I didn't wanna have to deal with. And there's the enemy, he'd love to make that the incomplete photo. But Maya had the perspective, in 10 million years from now, when my dad's in heaven, this pain, this affliction is gonna be light and momentary compared to what's coming. Your pain is not purposeless. Promise number two, only in the Christian life is it true that our pain will not be permanent. Oh sure, there's other worldviews that promise some form of nirvana for the very select perfect few who can live a perfect life, string enough good deeds together, get enough good karma built up to inherit nirvana. Only problem is nobody can do that. Only problem is we all know ourselves and we can't be perfect. That's the whole point of Jesus having to leave heaven to come rescue us because there was no way for us to get back up to heaven. What sets us apart is that the end to our pain does not get accomplished by our perfection, but by Jesus's perfection. What he's already accomplished for us. We don't have to hope on a wish and a prayer that somehow we'll be good enough for the pain to eventually end. We just have to put our faith and trust in a king who is the one who puts an end to all the pain and suffering in the world. Look at the back half of this 2 Corinthians text that we just read. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Then look at verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In Jesus, there is a hope that transcends the pain and ultimately ends the pain. Horatio Spafford was a great hymn writer and wrote a famous hymn that we all know called It Is Well. Anybody know it? Heard it? 
Okay, six of us. We're gonna have to work on that. I don't even know if we can be a real church if only six of us know it as well. He was a businessman and an attorney in Chicago, and in the great Chicago fire of 1871, he nearly lost everything. The whole city did. Three square miles just set ablaze in the Chicago fire of 1871. After trying to put life back together in the aftermath of that, not related to the fire, he lost his son due to an illness, which I can't imagine. And two years later in 1873, his wife Anna and their four daughters and him were traveling to England. He needed to stay back to deal with some things at the business, and so he sent Anna and their four daughters on on the ship ahead of them and said, I'll meet up with you. Well, on the journey across the sea, their ship collided with another ship and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And Horatio Spafford, back in Chicago, received a telegram from his wife, Anna, said, saved alone. And he knew in that moment all four of his daughters had lost their life in a tragic car accident. So Horatio Spafford receives the telegram, obviously does anything he can do to try to meet up with Anna as fast as possible, so he gets on a ship and heads to meet up with her in England. And as he's traveling across the water, he gets to the place where he's told is where the ships collided and his daughters are at the bottom of the ocean. And in that moment, he penned these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll. Can, can you see that? Can you feel the weight of that song? Standing on the ocean as the waves that were there, as the ships crashed into each other, now beating up against Horatio Spafford's boat. The very same waves he's saying as, as, as sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How can he say that? How can you stand in that moment, overlooking the scene where you lost your four daughters and pen lyrics, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's because he was aware of the fact that because of his relationship with Jesus and his daughter's relationship with Jesus, that even though on earthly terms they died, that he was aware of a greater reality, which was the fact that death itself was dead and pain and suffering had an end date and there would be a day where he's reunited with them for all of eternity. That, that's what he writes in, in the hymn. He, he reminds himself of God's love. So when he doesn't understand what happened, he's dwelling on God's character. He said, Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. I'm gonna go back to the cross. When I can't understand what you're doing, God, I'm just gonna center my mind on the cross and be reminded of your goodness and your kindness and your mercy in my life until my heart begins to have confidence again that you are good and you can work even in life's pain. And then he writes, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. That day is coming. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Did his faith in God take the pain away? No. 
Nobody is here today to sell you some Christianese answer of God's good and pain's not that bad. No, many of you have been shattered by pain. And I don't know why. I don't have an answer for everything everybody in this room's going through. I, I've gotta wrestle with my own questions. But what I do know is I know how this story ends. And for the life of a believer, you can have confidence at how the story ends. That one, there will be a moment where you look back on your life and you'll understand that through all the pain, a new story unfolded and God used all the pieces that you thought were broken pieces to put together something beautiful that you couldn't have imagined. And there will be a day where there will be an end permanently to pain. Let me read these verses as we close our time together. This is the end of our story. This is where our confidence can come from. Revelation 21. Just if you're in the middle of pain right now, I just wanna encourage you, just close your eyes maybe and let these words just wash over your heart, give you confidence and hope again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first time, heaven and for for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. With Jesus, it does not mean that your pain, your life will be painless, but it is possible with Jesus for it to be true that your pain won't be purposeless and your pain will not be permanent. That's been true in my own life, and my wife and I, between our four parents, three of our four, three of our four parents have had cancer. We've walked through very hard things in life. But I, I have a glimpse of God. I, I have a confidence in his word. I have the full picture that the enemy doesn't want me to see. And that allows me to keep taking steps in faith even when I don't understand everything God is up to. Even in life's most difficult and dark moments, I can say I have seen something so great in the cross of Jesus Christ that though I don't have an answer for everything every person is wrestling with, all the pain and suffering in the world, I know Jesus and I know he's coming back to put an end to all of this. I wanna pray for us as we close, and I just wanna give somebody a, a moment tonight to, to really make a decision, a decision that you need to make. I don't know, I don't know where you are. I don't know if a, a dream has died. I don't know if your family has split apart. I don't know if there's been a diagnosis with a friend, if you've lost a grandparent. I, I don't know what's going on in every person's life in this room. I do know that Jesus does. 
But I know that when you experience pain and suffering, your hand gets forced and you all of a sudden find yourself at an intersection. And I would imagine tonight there's even people in this room that came and came to sing praises to God tonight. But truth be told, when you stand at that intersection, you've constantly just been running away. Running away in anger, running away in bitterness, away from God. And tonight, I wonder if there's just maybe somebody in this room today that goes, you know what, I am staring really hard pain and suffering right in the eye in my life right now. But I wanna make a decision not to run from God because of my pain, but to trust God in my pain and believe that God has a hope that even can transcend my pain. That my pain will not be purposeless and my pain will not be permanent. And so I will have confidence and I will walk by faith until my eyes can fully see God in all his kindness and mercy to me.